Well, thank you for tuning in. We are glad you guys are with us for church this morning, and especially this weekend as we celebrate Memorial Day. And as Forrest was saying, it's just a special reminder of gratefulness uh, as, as the freedoms and privileges that we have as a country, as a nation, wouldn't be possible without the men and women who gave their lives for us. And so today we want to honor them. We want to say thank you, and all the while having them on our minds, you know, along with their families during this time. And today, we are finishing our series, Isolated But Not Alone. And as we've been going through the book of Philippians, and so we are starting and finishing chapter 4 this morning. And uh, we're going to jump right into verse 1 and see where we're headed for the morning. So, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved Paul obviously cares for this church. He says they are his joy and even uses this illustration of a crown. And he's not referring to like a royal king crown, but a, almost a wreath that during his time, if uh, someone who won a competition or a race, they were given this wreath as proof of their victory. And so it showed that, hey, they won, they deserved it. In the same way, the Philippian church is Paul's crown. They are proof of his effective service to Jesus. And he cares for them. He loves them. He has a special friendship with them. And a lot of that is due to the fact that at one point they were the only church to support Paul and in, his, in his ministries. And so knowing all that, he cares for him. He wants the best for him. He says, stand firm. And this phrase, it has almost a military theme to it where he's saying, hey, stand firm, and what it means is to hold your ground, hold your position while under attack. So no matter what's coming your way, you stand firm, you hold your ground, stay in your position, regardless of what the enemy's throwing at you. And he says, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in your faith. He doesn't want them going back to their old sinful ways. He knows that if they do, they'll be susceptible to temptation and even possibly being crushed by their trials. And so he's reminding them, hey, stand firm. And the rest of the chapter, he gives ways on how to do that. And he's telling them and ultimately us. And so if they want to stand firm, if we want to stand firm, we need the right joy, the right peace, and the right mind. And we see that kick off in verse 4. Verses 4 through 5 say this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. We see this theme run all throughout the book of Philippians. And it's joy. And so that's the first thing we need to, st- first thing we need to do to stand firm. We need to have the right joy. And this isn't just an emotion. It's not just a human feeling. When the Bible uses the word joy in God, it's this deep down confidence To know that God is in control and he's working everything for our good and his glory, no matter the situation. And so for the church, they had plenty of reasons to be discouraged. I mean, they were receiving this letter from Paul who's in prison. They were probably concerned for him and even fearing that he might die for his faith. There was a lack of unity in the church. There were people uh, disagreeing and that was potential just division among the members. There was persecution. There was false teaching. All these different things. Paul says that's not important. What's important 
is that you focus on the solution to rejoice in the Lord. Not just rejoice because, man, things are going well for you, but it's a continual practice of finding your happiness from God alone. And here's why. Outside of God, there is nothing in life that gives us a consistent source of joy. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a few days, weeks, maybe even years. But eternally, there's nothing that we can find outside of God that is going to last. You can find joy in money, but we can't keep that after we pass. You can find joy in other people and relationships, but sometime or another, people are going to fail you. They're going to hurt you because they are sinners just like us. You can find joy in your health, but even that is going to fade someday. Find joy in possessions, but that doesn't satisfy like God does. And he's not calling them to be unrealistic. He's not saying, hey, you can't be sad. Just no matter what happens, fake a smile and hopefully things will work out for you. He's saying to rejoice in God and focus on the blessings that they have in Christ no matter how they feel, no matter what they're facing. And so what he's trying to communicate is the idea that joy and circumstance have nothing to do with each other. Our circumstances do not influence the joy that we have in God. Uh, and I know for me, one of, one of the, the, the dates that's difficult for me to forget is January 3rd, 2003. And I was nine years old at the time, and that is when Ohio State beat Miami to win the college football national championship. And so, as Ohio State fans, our family, you know, we had some friends over, had a great time watching the game. But some, it was probably around the second or third quarter, at some point I started thinking to myself, you know what? I need to play my part. I need to help Ohio State win and, and do as much as I can so that they win this game. Because Miami's, it's, if we're being honest, they're a better team. So I need to play my part. And so I started thinking and thinking, all right, they're playing in the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. I got it. So I ran to the kitchen, grabbed a bag of Tostitos tortilla chips, started eating them. And in my mind, the more chips that I ate, the better they would play. And you know what? It worked because they won and everything worked out. They won in double overtime. And so after the game, I'm feeling great. And I'm just thinking, you know what? Jim Trestle should probably give me part of his paycheck because you're welcome. You know, I did it. Uh, I played a huge part in this. But in reality, we all know that I had nothing to do with them winning that game. What did help was a questionable pass interference call, but that's besides the point. And um, me, just like I had nothing to do to influence that game, our circumstances should not influence our joy. That it's not, okay, I'll have joy when my finances are in order. Or you know what, now that things are finally getting back to normal and I'm not stuck in my house 24-7, now I can rejoice. Or you know what, now that I'm finally in this relationship, I'm finally married, whatever it is, it's not based on how our life is going. Joy is separate from our circumstances. Even Paul says in chapter 1 that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even death, the worst thing that could possibly happen to any person, that cannot stop his joy. And he understood that. And we see that a great way to showcase that joy is to show gentleness to everyone. And this gentle spirit 
that we are to have, it says, let it be known to all men. Gentleness, this idea of kindness and graciousness, it's showing consideration towards others. And it doesn't mean that we're weak. As believers, we need to stand for truth. So we're not meant to be spineless. We're meant to be selfless. And there's a difference there. And it says, let that gentleness be known to other people. It's not good enough just to be gentle, you know, in your own life. You need to showcase that in your life so that others can see it. And when we do, it lets the world see that we belong to God as we strive to be a blessing to others. And along with being gentle, Paul reminds them that God is near. Not only is God near in time, like, hey, God is coming back. Jesus is going to return a second time. That's true. But God is near now. That he is available to us. He is with his people. And he is available for strength. And unfortunately, a lot of us forget that when we face tough times. We forget what we know about God. That he is willing and able to help us. And the only sure and reliable and unchanging constant that we have in our lives is near and we have access to him. And that should bring us joy and comfort. And so to stand firm, we need to have the right joy and also we need to have the right peace. Verses 6 through 7, as we keep going on, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying rather than being stressed out about whatever you're facing, take that to God. Like prayer should replace worry in our lives. And too often we use prayer as a last resort. But God says no, Prayer should be our first line of defense. We often pray when we've tried everything else, when we have nothing left to do. But God says that we should pray before we do anything at all. And when we pray, we are taking everything on our minds, on our hearts, in our life, and just laying it out for him and being open to letting him lead our lives. And so we tell him just like we would a friend. We tell him our hurts. We tell him our worries. We tell him our consistencies. We tell him what we want. We tell him our doubts. We tell him everything that's going on in our life, good or bad, and we let him in so that he can lead us. And what's crazy is how often do we unload our worries and our concerns on other people, our friends, our family members, our wives, our husbands, and we tell them everything that's wrong, but we don't tell God. We'll tell them how we're worried and how we're panicked and how we're angry about situations, but we won't take that to God. And that's when our problems start because we become worried when we don't trust God, when we don't think he's powerful enough to handle our situation, when we don't have confidence in his plan. And so before we move on, we can kind of do a little self-evaluation. What in your life are you worrying about? What are you not handing over to God because maybe you don't think you can handle it or you maybe don't want to hear what he has to say on a situation? What things are you telling your friends and maybe even gossiping about in your life and just complaining and worrying to people 
that you need to take that to God and trust him and know that he is in control and nothing is too powerful for him. And when we do that, verse 7 says that what follows is peace. And this isn't just peace with God. This is peace from God. Because we understand that when we place our trust in Christ, when we acknowledge our sin and believe that Jesus died for us, on the cross and rose from the dead and we choose to follow him, that moment is when we receive peace with God. That we are no longer having to face the penalty of our sin, but for eternity we can trust in the fact that Jesus has paid it for us. But peace from God is something different. This is what we have access to after trusting him. Because of our standing with God, we can obtain this peace that he offers to guard our hearts and our mind. And he even says that what we receive, this peace from God, it's surpa- it surpasses all comprehension. That it is beyond any human understanding. We can't even fully wrap our minds around it because it comes from God and it's not something that we can find in our lives or in this world. And what he's not saying is that, okay, he's going to give you peace. That means as soon as you pray for something, you're going to feel just 100% better. As soon as you say amen, all your problems are gone. That's not quite it. And he's also not saying that peace is an indicator of God's will. That just because you feel good about a decision you've made, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right call for what honors God the most. Because I feel like most of us could probably go buy a new 2020 brand new car that we couldn't afford, and we'd feel pretty good while driving it, right? doesn't mean it was the best decision for our bank account or to honor God, you know, with what we have. But what he does say is that when we take our concerns to him, there is a measure of peace that we can claim. That we can have confidence that we've taken our, we've taken our matters to God. Not to our friend, not to our family member, not to our spouse, not to our neighbor Wilson across the fence. We've taken our problems to God who is in control and he knows what's going on. And as Paul's writing this, he has this kind of imagery in mind, but just like a soldier would guard a city, this peace protects and guards our hearts and our minds and our person. And and I think a lot of us have experienced peace on a conditional level. We've all experienced peace because of things going on in our life. You know, maybe just things are going well, Maybe you're on a vacation and you're thinking, okay, I can get used to this. You know, peace because of our circumstance. But that's not what God is talking about. He is wanting more for us. He's wanting us to experience a greater peace. He wants to experience something better than maybe what we're experiencing right now. And I know the, the past few months, uh, we haven't been able to meet in the building for our Fuse student ministry and here at Fremont on the middle school pastor. But uh, every time I see students, you know, either at church or in public, I ask them, hey, how's life going? You know, how's quarantine treating you? And to be completely honest, a lot of the responses I'm getting are a little depressing. Okay, I, <laughs> I was talking to a student last week and I was asking her, hey, how's life going? How, uh, how's the stay at home? And she said, oh, you know, pretty good. Do a little homework. I go outside every now and then, you know, it's just, just the answers, it's funny, but it's not funny, but the answers aren't that exciting. The highlight of her past month has been putting on shoes and going outside. 
and I feel bad because I want more for, you know, for them. I want to see them be able to hang out with their friends. I want to see them go back to school and play sports and come back to Fuse, you know, in person. I want more than what they're experiencing right now. And it's the same way with God, that a lot of us are only experiencing peace on a conditional, worldly level, that we feel good only because our life is going well. Paul is communicating this, that God wants more for us, that he has a peace to the fullest extent, that just like joy does not hinge on our circumstance and our situation. God wants more for us than that. Because true peace isn't measured by the absence of trouble. It's measured by the presence of Christ in our lives. The goal should not be to eliminate every uh, inconvenient and unpleasant thing in our lives. The goal is to trust God in every difficulty. And this passage is saying those who trust him receive this, or this type of peace. And so lastly... We need to have the right joy, the right peace, and the right mind to stand firm. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. See, Paul, he's advising us on what should occupy our minds rather than fear and anxiety and worry. And he says, dwell on on these things to, to focus or to think about things that are true and right and honorable and pure. And those are the things that should take up our mind and take up our thoughts. And he's mentioning this. And what I want us to understand the battle for our minds is so much more important than we think. And that's true because the life that you live is often a reflection of the thoughts that you think. Who you are tomorrow is based on what you think about today. And what consumes your mind often controls your life. And so this isn't an option for believers. Paul isn't saying, hey, try your best, just... uh, You know, as much as you can, think happy thoughts and hopefully things will get better for you. He is saying this as a command. That as believers, we are responsible for our thoughts. And we should and we can hold them to a higher standard. And Romans 8 verse 5, to jump out of our passage real quick, talks about exactly this. It says, for those who are according to the flesh, so non-believers, someone who has not trusted Jesus... Those according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, believers, the things of the Spirit. He's saying, Lord, as believers, as someone who we have a new identity and we are a new creation in Jesus, our mindset should be better and different than the world. If we know Jesus, like Colossians is telling us in in chapter 3, that we should set our minds on things above And not on worldly things, not on our desires, our sinful ways. But what he's telling us is that God wants to renew our minds as we focus on his truth. And so what he's trying to get across is that we need to pay attention to what we're paying attention to. 
And we can ask ourselves, okay, are my thoughts true and right and honorable and pure? Do my thoughts honor God in that way? Are you thinking about things like Scripture? That God has given us this book not only to read, but to memorize and to meditate on throughout the day. That we can read a verse or a chapter, memorize it, and constantly be thinking, how can I apply this to my life? What can I do to make sure that this is uh, going to be put to practice right away? Are you thinking about Scripture? Are you thinking about things like eternity? You know, last week, Pastor Luke talked about that we are citizens of heaven. That no longer is our address, you know, this earth, but our permanent eternal place that we're going to be spending is heaven with our creator. And knowing that, that should drive us. That should motivate us. And so we can think, man, how can I make my eternity better and not just this life? Are you thinking about truths and promises about God? And constantly reminding yourself about how good he is. Because when we do that, we're going to respond to him. The more we know him, the better we're going to obey and worship him. And are you thinking about things like, how can you pray for your coworkers? How can you serve your neighbor? How can you impact and reach those around you for the gospel? How can you impact your community? Constantly be thinking of ways that God can use you. Those are the type of thoughts that are true, right, pure, and honorable. Or are your thoughts not so God-honoring? Are the things that you're thinking about, are they having no eternal value in your mind and in your life? So I think a lot of us get that, okay, I shouldn't think bad things. Like, I shouldn't lust, I shouldn't have pride, I shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't worry. I get that. But what about the thoughts that are kind of in between? They're not bad, but they're not great. They're not thinking about God directly. You know, I think there's just so much time spent processing things that ultimately are distractions and pull us away from our purpose of knowing God more. And Paul says that we don't want to settle for that. We want to elevate our thinking to only think about the best things. Like what Paul is saying in verse 8. And maybe we're listening and go, you know what? Seems impossible. Like I just don't have that self-control. I'm not able to control my thoughts that way. You know, they kind of run wild. I don't have that, that grip on them. Paul says, hey, look at me. Like I set an example in verse 9. And he's not bragging. He's telling us that it's possible. And that's something that we need to reach for. That every Christian should be doing. Because godly thinking promotes godly living. That's where it starts. It starts in our minds. And Paul says, don't just think about them. Don't just dwell on these things, but put them into practice. Think about them. Think about the fact that God is great. Think about what he's done for you, but also make sure that's showing out in your life. Because when it's all said and done, standing firm means to live a disciplined life of obedience to God's commands. And so to stand firm, we need to have the right joy, the right peace, and the right mind. And one of the reasons that, that Paul wrote this letter, he is writing to thank them for a gift that they had sent. They were supporting his ministry, and so he finishes chapter 4 thanking them for that gift. And not only does he appreciate it, but he's telling them, hey, 
this gift means a lot. It shows that you care for me. It shows that you love me. But with or without this gift, I'm content. And this is where everyone's favorite Bible verse comes into play. Philippians 4.13 it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying, through Christ, whether I have little or a lot, whether I have received your gift or I, I didn't, I don't need material things because spiritually I'm rich. I have everything that I need. And he's saying that that's only possible through Jesus. Not just by him having a positive attitude, not for him lowering his standards, going, you know what, if I don't get much, that's fine. He is trusting that Jesus is everything that he needs. And that's where he gets his strength. And you know, that's the same case for the entire series, for the entire book. We've talked about things like, man, how bad things happen, but we can still honor God in our response. We've talked about how we should have unity. And as a church, as believers, we should strive for the same goal. We've talked about how uh, we can use this time during COVID-19. And even though it's, it's, it's terrible, it's, it's causing deaths and a lot of uncertainty, we can use it for God to develop us and take advantage of it for us to grow personally. We've talked about how we want to live out our faith for others and how we want to stand firm in the Lord. And maybe even one of those things, but all of them, it may seem overwhelming. It may seem like, you know what, it's, it's just not possible. But this book, this letter of Philippians, it tells us that no matter what happens in our life, that we have Jesus. And because we have him, we have the perfect model of what it means to stand firm. And that's in Jesus, that's in our creator, our savior, who knows us, who loves us, who died for us, and is calling us to live a life dependent on him. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. God, we wanna thank you for just who you are. God, you reveal yourself to us. You show us that, that you are all we need. God, it's not about our lives. It's not about how well uh, you know, we're doing financially. It's not about our circumstances. It's about the fact that we have you. And in you, we have everything we need. And I pray that everyone listening today would understand that and live in that, that we can be independent from the joy of money and from the joy of possessions and, and any insecurity that we have, God, because we are dependent and fully focused on you. And we thank you for that truth. And I pray that we would live that out. I pray that we, as we are being your church, that we would show the world that you are enough and that you provide strength for anything that you call us to do. In your name, amen.